Uninformed Handball Hour. This is Brian Campion speaking to you from Vienna, Austria. I'm joined, of course, by Chris O'Reilly from Gothenburg, Sweden, Alex Kulesh from Copenhagen, Denmark. Hello, boys. Hello, Brian. Hi, Brian. Ready for some handball chat? Oh, born ready. I think Alex so. wants to start. He has his homework done, so he's going to start with uh, probably <laughs> one of the biggest <laughs> one of the biggest stories of the last maybe week or two of a Norwegian team looking to take over the world, basically. Huh? Oh, but before we do that, we should talk about who our guest is later in the podcast. Oh, yes. Because often oh, we're very bad at that. <laughs> uh, people uh, who, who, who are looking at or listening to the podcast and have read the caption know who it is already, but we should still, you know, properly introduce her. And it's Laura Ajena from the Playmaker Women's Handball website and podcast. She's going to join us from Buenos Aires to talk about the uh, Women's Champions League. Now... On to Alex and his homework. <laughs> I have done my homework, which is, is tough because there's so much handball going on all the time. It, it's, it's a bit overwhelming. And I think it, it speaks volumes that we're, we're only just catching up with the, the Women's Champions League mm. this year, which is well and truly in full flow. Um, only getting a chance there. We haven't kind of gone into the leagues in too much detail, but we will do all of that uh but to to start we really need to kind of go into probably the biggest story that's come out over the next last couple of weeks in handball and this is the new super project in handball emanating from the small norwegian town of trondheim where both of you were um yes a couple of years ago yeah it was a lovely town that's where the uninformed handball hour debuted as a co-production with the euro so that was where we started our euro recordings back in ehf euro 2020 just before the pandemic (laughs) (laughs) where we were licking handball players and you know talking to them as if they were real people in the same place as them yeah good times good times brian absolutely yeah it's definitely a town that's for sure (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) is Trondheim not like the third biggest city in Norway I think it's it's probably the second or third biggest Uh, city with a population of 205,000 people as of uh, 2020 it's the third most populous municipality in Norway the fourth largest urban area so there you go you know comparatively to some of the mega clubs in handball that is a full metropolis there you know it's a huge city to to work with but um basically there is a club there called Kolstad who are in um the top division in Norway but out of nowhere they they came out with this story that they want to bring Sander Sagasen home and that's that's a headline people have attached to and it's a headline that gets you really excited so Basically, there's huge ambition in this club to make it kind of the new super club in handball. They've stated that, you know, they're willing to expand their budget significantly with up to 
between five and seven million euro coming from sponsors in the coming year um, and a full budget potentially of up to 10 million euro, which is pretty significant. It puts them right at the top um, of the handball world. You know, it's not PSG levels with their 17 million, but, you know, it, it, it's it's right up there. And they want to basically build, in my opinion, a replica of what has happened in Albor. So basically this club of Scandinavian players and a home hero. So Albor brought Hansen home. Kolstad want to bring Sagesen home in 2023 when his contract expires. That's a tough proposition for uh, Sagesen, I think. He, he's he been a little bit quiet on this. He has mm. acknowledged the rumors, um, stating that, you know, his contract talks are still ongoing, but, you know, Norway, the league there is not in, in the right, you know, place for him in his career. Uh, but I think it is possible. But first, a lot of things need to happen. Um, what what do you think? If you were in Sagasen's shoes, what do you think that's something that uh, he should go for? Hmm. I mean, I, he he did speak to our friend uh, Merla Shach on the Keeler Nachrichten. It was behind a paywall, though, so <laughs> we didn't get a full full insight. He he did say he was like he's kind of torn about it. You know, he doesn't really know what he's going to do yet. Uh, and looking into this and like thinking about 2023, and it's like at that stage, he's actually going to be turning 28. All of a sudden, Sanders Agustin is getting old. Not old, but like getting into his, his peak handball years, which are still like, I guess you could argue, you know, 30, 31, 32 uh, seem to be where the modern male handball players are hitting their peak but he's slowly but surely getting to that age now and um so in that regard a 28 year old Sanders Sagerson going back to Norway is maybe not completely ridiculous but I think he probably would want to see or if I were Sander I would like to see the money splashed first and my future teammates win the Norwegian league and get into the Champions League then I'd consider joining them and the, they have started splashing the money so um, the first signing that's been officially confirmed um, is Smarison from uh, the Icelandic player from Frischef Gopigen. Um, a pretty good signing, I think. Uh, he's 26 year old, has 44 caps for Iceland, 60 goals. A, a real solid player, mm. and the, uh, there's a lot of names rumored with them right now. Um, another big one is uh, Magnus Rule who um, is not having a good time in Flensburg. <laughs> we can put that um, very clearly. And maybe for him, uh, getting out of the Bundesliga might be um, the best option. That's a big kind of Norwegian signing. But also, um, Gullerud is has been uh, rumoured to be signed, actually, for the 2022 season. Oh. So um, that came from Hamba Leaks, which is a very fun Instagram page which gets this information somehow and a lot of the time is correct so I, I put a lot of faith in handball leaks um, the mystery behind the uh, that page um, I'm beginning to think I'm beginning to think handball leaks is just another way for Rasmus Boysen to speak to himself 
and just say, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling this is going to be happening. And another source, which is not me, also says it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> so Rasmus, we're on to you. <laughs> it's not a bad, not a bad theory. Then other players, Sigvaldi Gajonson from Kielsa. I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't think he fits into the future plans there. Carlsborg Gord uh, from Lemgo, mm-hmm. that would be a huge signing. I think he's a player who's destined for a big, big club move. Kentonenson, um, again, makes a lot of sense. Uh, if I was him, I'd be, you know, dying for that opportunity. He, he's been through a rough patch. And Bergerud, who seems to be linked with every club in European handball <laughs> at the moment. He's just sitting there in the Danish countryside waiting for the right offer. So that's a team that would, you know, make waves in handball, mm. I think. It, it. I don't think we can assume that all of those players will be signed, but um, it's big, but they have to contest with Elverum for a couple of years who are one of the hottest teams in European handball right yeah. now. They are. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that. I mean, in general, for Scandinavian handball, it's super exciting because they're they're not alone in this. And and looking like backing Kolsta as this potential superpower seems to be a very wise move in that part of the country because in Trondheim they do have the Spectrum, which is I think almost nine thousand seats for handball games. So that's there. You have you have your Champions League arena already there for you. And you have Rayma 1000, that supermarket chain, which seems to be putting the money behind it. And you can imagine why they, as big handball sponsors anyway, and sports sponsors, would love to be the name that, uh, on a team that is, um, that is basically representing Norway at the highest level. But uh, yeah, when you look at them and Elverum, who uh, are improving all the time, and Alborg, you've got uh, a couple of teams in Sweden that you know, at a, I guess a smaller level would like to be the Swedish superpower or a Scandinavian superpower like uh, Christianstad and, and Sevehoff who have those ambitions and potential one day to do it. So overall, it's uh, probably a good time for Scandinavian players who are playing in the Bundesliga uh, to start looking homewards. Are you talking about Christian O'Sullivan? <laughs> first player that came to mind there you don't think it's a bit of a, cons- a bit of there's a bit uh, unusual that all this talk about Kolstad and the money that suddenly came out of nowhere and it's just around the same time that Newcastle get bought out and they're talking about st- starting their own Super League if there's any conspiracy theorists listening out there I'd say just look into it a little bit <laughs> well, I I would highly doubt that uh, the t- team of Kolstad in Trondheim is being powerful by the Saudi Arabian crown crown prince. Uh, I don't know. But, I don't you know. know. He just might say, have I'm just, a few. I'm just asking questions. <laughs> so, I'm just asking questions. I have no answers. I'm just asking questions. But, but it is funny though when you were talk, going through the names that Newcastle did pop to my mind for not not because of the Saudi money thing, but because of like you know the the joining the club for a player like Sander Sagerson and yeah. how. You know, if you're a top player and you're looking towards the money, and of course he has other reasons for it, but you're, you're kind of waiting for other players to go there and build something first, like become a solid mid-level European team first, then you go over and uh, you bring them to the next level. You just want to make sure that the, the team is going to be there before you commit to it. 
Yeah, I think so. And another kind of part of the story, which I think is probably just as important to the club as Sagasin, is that they're trying to sign Christian Berge as their coach. Um, he has a contract within Norwegian Federation until 2025. So he's he's tied up there. He's pretty happy, um, I think. And, you know, whether he comes in and starts this project, that, that would be the ideal situation. Mm. Having a coach like that take over and build a project with a long-term future is ideal. Whether he can do that while still coaching the Norwegian national team is a question. Um, I think that was posed to him. I think the general opinion is that he shouldn't do it. But I, to be honest, but why wouldn't he? If he has the Norwegian national team in a club, in club form, and then uh, the Norwegian national team as well, that, that can probably help the whole country out. Um, I know. Let's just say he doesn't, though. Who else could you see in potentially taking that, that type of job? Thorir Hergeisen. <laughs> let's see him take on the men. Oh, you, you, never, you never see that, though, do you? You rarely see coaches going from women's to men's, do you? No, I mean, yeah, you've had a few, particularly in in, uh, in Denmark with Jan Pitlick, I think, has done it. And also the most famous of all, the guy who won the uh, Ulrich Vilbeck, mm. who's now a politician. Right. Got the job done with the men, got the job done with the women, then he became a politician. <laughs> Sorting out the country now. Sorting out the country. <laughs> I think he's in Viborg as a politician. That's I don't know where, how that's in my head. But anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it is not so usual. But yeah, I mean, he's done it all with the Norwegian women's national team. Let him, let him get his payday. Who would you like to see Alex take over? It would probably have to be a, it would have to be a Scandinavian coach because they're going for a Scandinavian team. So, what about talking big, Nikolai Jakobsen, who, mm. you know, he's he's had a good run. He might be looking for a, a change of pace. Twenty twenty three. That's uh, there's a bit of time there. Brings a forty six year old Andy Schmid with him to work with Sandra Sagerson. <laughs> <laughs> What about uh, a coach who's kind of maybe fallen to the wayside the last few years? Lubomir Varanias, back from the ashes, his rise again to take a, 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 a small team back to the back to the top. He's still he's still the Slovenia coach, isn't he? <laughs> no, I know, but, no, I, I, but I'm talking in terms of club, club, yeah, yeah, club. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's not a bad shout as well. I, I did. He he was one of the names that popped up or flashed by my head a little bit as well. But there, there's one thing to not underestimate here. He speaks Swedish, and why that is wildly different to Norwegian. They like to think that they understand each other, but you know it is. It's, <laughs> I think I think it's closer than Nikolai Jakobsen's Danish. <laughs> <laughs> another another name in there. I mean, um, Savahoff won't thank me for saying this, but Mikael Appelgren, who mm. was the Elverum coach, now is the Savahoff coach, had a very good relationship with Christian Berga and uh, has a good reputation in Norway. He's another one. That's 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 actually a great shout. Why not give it to kind of a rising star not? Yeah, yeah. Build a project from the start. God bless the current uh, coach, that coach. He's turned into Steve Bruce overnight as well, no? <laughs> <laughs> Who is the Steve Bruce of Colstad? <laughs> 
to be honest, the, the name didn't even pop up oh, when no. I was researching. Oh, no. Let's, let's see here. It calls the hot. Stian Gomo Nielsen. Sorry, Stian. But I'm, I'm not really sure um, if he's going to stick around too long because they have already made, um, let's say, minor investments in the team. They, they've picked up some, um, some of the good Norwegian players um, around the league, and they're currently sitting in ninth behind uh, Halden Top Handball, where uh, a friend of the pod uh, plays Josh Cron Grace. Not just a, a friend of the pod, but a teammate of ours, an Irishman. Teammate of ours. <laughs> I, I, knew you, I thought you were going to mention that because I think, uh, I think Josh and Halden beat them already this season. Exactly. Another, let's say, project to probably check in on, and that is Kielsa. Um, while um, not... A new project starting up in handball, but it seems to be a bit of a, let's say, rising phoenix story from, you know, an emotional point of view where we we've sp- we spoke to Bert, Berta Servas in detail about this, but he's come out firing. He gave us all his negotiation tactics and we've seen them in work, seen them like step by step on Twitter as well, uh, building the hype continually. Um, and he's announced six signings uh, for the 2023 and 24 season. So a real regeneration of this squad. Um, I think biggest two big ones there in Stas Scuba and Remily that we kind of knew before. Uh, Concoud also coming from PSG. The last one to get signed was Jaganyak uh, from Nexa. I, I'm a big fan of him. I think he has a bright future. He's only 23 years old, a real powerhouse, yeah. and um, showed what he can do in the European League, um, the first round of the European League, where he scored nine goals, including a last-second winner um, against, was it Axum Provence? Yeah. Or, Ex- yeah. Yeah. Pauk. Against accent Provence um so big star there and to add to that he has also um so Kielsa have signed two potential future superstars of the humble world uh one being an Egyptian another Egyptian coming into Europe which is great to see Hassan Kada um you know he he's still very young um needs time to develop in the Egyptian league where he is at the moment, um, but could be um, a star of the future. And the other one, which was probably pretty, uh, one of the funniest stories uh, to come out of uh, Servas's Twitter uh, campaign. And that is Elliot Stenmalm, who is a young Swedish player who uh, excelled in the, was it under 19 yeah, championship? Top scorer. Top scorer, absolutely dominant. Rasmus Boysen tweeted his stats out. And a <laughs> reply to that uh, tweet came from Berta Servas, who said, oh, very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Rasmus Boysen then replied, uh, Kielsa's new player, question mark. And about six months later, he is Kielsa's new player. <laughs> Not even, like three months later. <laughs> three months later. So we know uh, Bertus works quick, but uh, he really snapped that up. Yeah, what I, what I really liked about that was the how public 
uh, he made it as well. It's like, you know, he'll come back on the podcast in a couple of years and he'll talk about his latest negotiation skill, which he was developing while he uh, talked to us a, a few weeks ago, which is publicly talking about it on Twitter and letting the handball world know that it's not a rumor. This is the guy I want. I, it's a real kind of old school almost like 80s English football way of getting a player, you know, just like showing up at their house and, uh, you know, uh, talking to his mother and said, now get him to sign that contract. <laughs> Offering tea and biscuits. What positions does he play in that last one you mentioned? Uh, Stelman. He's a, he's a left back, which adds another interesting caveat to all of this, which Rasmus tweeted about yesterday, is that when he joins uh, in the tw- summer of 2023, Kielce will have 10 right-handed backcourt players to choose from as things currently are. So, <laughs> which is someone's getting the chop. <laughs> someone's getting the chop. And Bertus replied, uh, do you think that's too many? <laughs> <laughs> Rasmus then replied, he's all, well, some of them can go out on loan, which is, I think, certainly the case when you look at some players. And what, what, Kielce have done they've not been afraid to sign young players and then send them out on loan uh, like they have with Doruk Pelevan who who played with them for for half a season and has been out on loan since then so yeah definitely building for the future and it's you know it shows that they're doing their hard work now and just like this is what we have this is what we're going to build towards and after they announced Stelmam also on Twitter I like this uh, tweet from uh, what I believe is like a Potsk uh, journalist Lukas uh, Zoltovsky and he just tweeted a gif or from the office where it just says I just wanted to stop <laughs> and Bert has, repli- Bert has replied it will stop now <laughs> so yeah oh god great stuff but Alex Alex who do you see getting the chop then in, in two years I think a few obvious ones there so I think Kulesh is gone yeah um He's he's out of running there. They've also uh, Pachkovsky, who um, who's out on loan at the moment. I don't think he'll come back. But yeah, he's a left-hander though. Yeah, but then they have yeah. Remily and uh, yeah, yeah. They, they don't need anymore. But just I, I'm just saying it doesn't cut down on the problem with ten back that, ten uh, right-handers. I think also potentially Pelavan, and uh, maybe he'll go out on loan again. Um, he's he's been good, but uh, I don't think he's he's right there. Um, but I think Kulish is the big one. Um, I think there'll be a lot of clubs lining up to sign him. He's, you know, primed for that big contract in Meshkov Brest as they're kind of revamping their squad as well. But it, it's so interesting to see. You can clearly see the next two generations of this team um, where we have basically right now, as Servas uh, told us that, you know, Alex Sushbaev said, you know, get me a team to win. So he brought in Remily and Scuba. That's that's enough to, you know, get to the top right now. And then they've kind of, they said, you know, while these guys are going to be the top of the top, we'll get the young guys in to develop, or at least, you know, as those guys are ramping down, we get the young guys. So they have, with uh, Stan Malm and Kada, they also have Hawker Thrasterson, who is a 20-year-old Icelandic super talent, unfortunately got an ACL injury last year, but he's back. Hopefully he uh, comes back mm-hmm. to his full form. And I think another uh, big 
let's say, chance that Saros has taken is bringing over a 17-year-old Nigerian kid, Yusuf Farouk, who uh, scored his first goal in the Champions League. You know, it's, it's exciting giving him the opportunity to just learn for probably four years before he gets into the team. First Nigerian to score a goal in the Champions League. First yeah. Nigerian to score in Champions League. Pretty exciting. I don't think he was even in the squad that we played as the Irish team against Nigeria. Uh, he, would, uh, he would have been 15. <laughs> <laughs> in that famous draw between Ireland and Nigeria. Yeah, he, thankfully for us, he wasn't in the squad. <laughs> <laughs> How many years would it be before an Irishman scores a goal in the Champions League? I think uh, Josh Grace had his chance. He was in a, a couple of squads for Aalborg and uh, I don't know if he got on the court so um, yeah good question one of us has to have a child I think first <laughs> and then <laughs> and get to work but on I, that but according to the Kielce Wikipedia page here uh, Kulesh is already leaving but it says destination unknown so mm. I think he's already be on the way out yeah also just uh, on that um, I was looking at um, Reinek Levin, and I'll mention that a little bit later. But um, on their Wikipedia page, you know, when they said, you know, leaving or arriving in the next couple of years. And with Andy Schmidt, the tag beside it was Destiny Unknown, which is a real fitting mark to how that is right now. <laughs> yeah, Destiny Unknown. Uh, one more player potentially in the chopping block uh, for Kielsa I wonder Danny Dushabayev does he ma- does he make mm. the cut there that's a hard call isn't it yeah cutting your son like that oh yeah that is that, that's a tough one but I think with his he's shown flashes of uh, of real potential um but with injury history I I think if he wasn't um the coach's son, he'd be very clearly on the chopping block. Um, but maybe the, you know, the the kind of system they have in Kiel, so they'll find a nice place for him to develop and say, you know, you can come back in a couple of years if uh, you do hmm. well, and your dad will probably be gone by then. We'll see. <laughs> it's all He's in He's off to Meshkov Brest. <laughs> All right. Do we have any more of these? Uh, there's a last one which I'll mention quickly, and that is Melsingen getting a new coach, and that being Robert Garcia Perondo, which I think is an incredible um, signing for Melsingen. Hopefully he can put in a system, a a plan for that club, which, you know, the, they should be better than they are. We saw how he, you know, transformed Egypt and that was a long-term plan and hopefully they stick with him and he develops this club and we see Melsungen's potential come out. Well done, Melsungen. Maybe sacking your coach after uh, a few games wasn't the (laughs) the wrong decision. (laughs) Well, they have the money to splash. We'll see if it works out for them. All right, so uh, before we go into our, our chat with Laura... We're going to do a little hit and miss of the season so far in the men's game. We've all chosen one team that we've been impressed by, one team that we have not been impressed by, and we're going to give our quick reasons for them and and try and hammer that one out in 10 minutes or less. We'll see if we can can do that. So we're going to start with Alex and the team that impressed you so far this season. Who is your hit? My hit is Vetrem. 
because I wasn't expecting them to be at the level that they've been this season. They, even they themselves, I don't think were expecting. Um, uh, with their change of coach, they didn't make a big change to the squad. They got rid of a few players like Tonnenson, Markusen, and Borazan. Um, and I think getting rid of Borazan may have been a big, big reason for how they turn around. But in their targets, in Momer in Illich's targets, uh, the Champions League final four wasn't even there. They just they want to retain the Hungarian title, and for uh, the formation of a team unit. And team unity was basically the real kind of point that Momer Illich came in with that we need to build a team, and what was before wasn't a team, and that was that was clear from the way they played. Um, completely individual, really hectic. But I think they've just accelerated that team unity and have looked like a proper team this season. They, of course, got that huge win against Barcelona. They have their fans back. I expect big things from and with Lauge Schmidt back in, in, I wouldn't say full form, but as the captain of the team, they have... I think he's brought some sort of solidity or um, calmness to the team that is counteracted by Petr Nadic, who is absolute mayhem. But when he's on... But he's scoring he's on. goals. But he's scoring goals. So he's doing well as well. But they have a bit of calmness around that. So good. they're my team. Brian, who's yours? I knew Alex was going to pick Vesprem. So I think mine would be uh, Dynamo Bucharesti. And there were a lot of questions before the season even started how Xavi Pascal was going to get on with the squad of players that he had. And I think even in terms of the signings that they've had, you see the power of the Pascal brand. People like Gurbindo signing for Vardar and then going, no, actually, wait a second. Uh, I'd rather go play for Xavi Pascal in the Romanian league. Um, Obviously beat Kielsa in their opening game. Let's just ignore the PSG game. And then uh, pushed Porto all the way, only losing by one, and gave Barcelona a decent enough game, uh, only losing by four goals. So I think they'll be delighted with the start of the season. And with a game against Motor coming up, and Motor haven't been looking as good as they normally are, so they could fancy maybe picking up some more points there. Had you said at the start of the season, Bucharest are going to be bottom of the table, maybe no points, pull a Zagreb, you would have been like, yeah, probably. But they've picked up points and they're pushing teams. So I think for me... That's been very impressive. I have to go for a team that are finally delivering. And I'm saying it on the 20th of October, which is far too early. But could this be Magdeburg's year? (laughs) 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 They've already already won the Superglobe, which nobody can deny was not a very good achievement. Beating Alborg in the semi-final and then... Like no two ways about it, they hammered Barca in the final. Like they absolutely smashed them with a solid performance all round. And top of the Bundesliga, seven wins out of seven so far. Omar Ingi Magnussen, what a star he has been! Forty-three goals, yes, a lot of them from penalties, but twenty-eight assists from a right back who's also their top scorer. I think is uh, super impressive. Uh, Michael Damgar is finally in form again all of a sudden and uh, maybe a bolter for the Danish squad for the Euros next year. Uh, He was brilliant in their last victory. Uh, Mike Jensen, the goalkeeper who's come out of nowhere 
He's only 26, Danish as well. Uh, he's joined from Ballingen and is actually outperforming Yannick Green so far. They already have 11 players to score 10 goals or more this season in the Bundesliga. And they haven't just beaten any teams, as well as beating Alborg and Barca in the Bundesliga. They've beaten Reinecke Leuven, they've beaten uh, Melsungen and Leipzig, two teams that usually cause Magdeburg problems at random points in the season. And of course, most recently beating Flensburg. Big test for them, though, in the next month, because three of their four next games are away from home to Kiel, Göppingen and Berlin, the other three teams in the top four in the Bundesliga. That'll say a lot about their future. Very nice. Very nice. I have one more comment to add to Magdeburg because I've also been extremely impressed. And they remind me of Bahrain. And stick with me here. <laughs> you know, our discussion about the like small ball handball mm. and how Bahrain have, you know, that's what Magdeburg have at the moment. They don't have any big shooters. Their top players are uh, Damgor, who is, okay, he's not too small, but he's he's a short back. Not your player, classic left back. Relative, not your classic yeah. left back. Magnuson on the right back again. He's one meter eighty six. They have Case Smiths, who's also one eighty six. You know, most their whole backcourt is mm. under one meter ninety, which is rare to see. Uh, but they're playing this kind of dynamic breakthrough standing shot handball, which is um, absolutely beautiful at times. So very excited. Who's the team that hasn't impressed you, Alex? Let's stick with the Bundesliga and uh, that team is Ryan Neckerleven. And I'm, they're just, it really annoys me how they've messed up their transition. You know, they have the money, they have the players. They could have, you know, they knew that Andy Schmidt wasn't going to be around forever. He's 38 now. He isn't the same player uh, that he was. He, you know, this season, especially, he's he's having a quite a poor season. Um, they they haven't, you know, when Nikolai Jakobsen left, they didn't have a plan for transition from him or from uh, Andy Schmidt, and they they have Klaus Gartner in there at the moment, who you know he's he's not doing a great job. They have Sebastian Hinze joining in. Um, from Berkshire next year as the coach. And I think that will be the start of the transition with a few of their kind of younger players, like getting Yuri Knorr in there. But, you know, they, they knew that this was going to happen and they just absolutely messed it up. And right now they have five points from six games in the Bundesliga with the kind of charge of a lot of teams uh, at the top. I think it will take them a long while to even get back into the European League properly um, with the rate that they're going. And that's an absolute pity. How about you, Brian? I'm not going to say Flansburg. Oh. Uh, Flen- Flansburg? It wouldn't say Flansburg anyway. It'd say Flensburg. <laughs> uh, Fl- Flensburg hand of it because that would be unfair with all the injuries to have. But I will say poor performance of the season, maybe the Flensburg uh, strength and conditioning coach i don't know what sh- or, or or whatever the shoe sponsor is for flensburg need to sort that out i don't know There's maybe some again conspiracy theorists out there if you look into it a little bit what shoes are all these players wearing because how much bad luck can you have there has to be something going on there uh, i'm trying to think of an example a few years ago there was some 
team doing something and some i can't remember what it was i think it was a football team and they were they were training on the astroturf with their studs on and the whole team were getting were getting uh, acl injuries and they couldn't realize they were getting all these acl injuries and it was to do with something with their training and i'm not saying that's what's happened in flensburg but how much bad luck can you have um for two seasons in a row two seasons in a row yeah and um they obviously extended mike's uh, contract there during the week as a sign of we're sticking with him Showing him that showing showing the fans that we know it's not his problem, but yeah, it's just it's a bit of a mess for Flensburg at the moment, and uh, it's it's actually quite painful to watch. It's not enjoyable at all. You feel like every game there, even before a throw off, you're kind of like, and you can see it in the player's face. I mean, what game was the last Champions League game? The, their starting seven was decent, and they just weren't playing like they, they weren't playing. They weren't matching the quality that they had on the court, even for those opening minutes. I mean, whatever you talk about hitting a 40-minute mark and not having the squad to rotate in, but you just feel like the the whole team just looks very deflated and it's uh, not the easiest time to be a Flensburg fan. No. Also, when you consider that um, Colstad are going to sign all of their players in the next two years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they've just been playing with eight players for yeah. two years. That is just nonsense. It, it, it's There's also kind of some sort of handling of that that needs... They, They've signed their usual approaches, getting a 40 year old to come in for a couple of days to, to, you know, back up the squad. That, that also has to kind of fit into this. You have to prepare for injuries and the squad management. And it just doesn't seem that Flensburg have thought that through. Of course, they're extremely unlucky, but there's more to it. They, you know, there is more than just bad luck to this. That's true. And my, team that I'm not impressed with this season Meshkov Brest I'm afraid to say they're just not like for all the ambition and all the promise they're not delivering so far this season Uh, four losses out of four in the Champions League as of the time of recording and um, yeah I mean when Baptiste Bonfant is your top dog there's something wrong (laughs) you know (laughs) that sentence alone is brilliant (laughs) Baptiste Bonfant was your top dog (laughs) That should be a t-shirt. <laughs> um, nothing against him, but I mean, you know, he he's kind of like a squad player at French league level and he's doing the business for them. The quality is still there somewhere uh, and the games they've lost uh, at home to Seged and Kiel, okay, that can happen. That's that's not a, that's not a, a huge uh, disaster, but a bit like with Magdeburg, the other way around with the next four games being huge for them, for Meshkov Brest, the next four games after this week are Elverum and Zagreb home and away. So that will tell us a lot about whether they're actually going to make it through or not. So, uh, yeah, not impressed, but there's time for them to turn things around. And there, there's a real risk there of that. I think they're also not handling a bit of a transition and um, they're losing Staskuba. Hmm. He has been the heart and soul of the team and potentially Already, he might be like he might have given up on the season uh, at some sort of level. Of course, uh, we can't assume that he's a amazing competitor, but he knows he has a new club to look forward to next year. They need to figure out how to move on from this team, and if they don't get it right, they can really mess it up and you know lose a big sponsor and implode. Uh, so I hope they get it right. There, yeah. they are a good team to have around. Yep. So I think that's enough about the men and uh, we're going to go on to women's EHF Champions League chat and we're going to bring in Laura Ajena from Playmaker Women's Handball in to talk to us about that. 
Hello, Laura, Gina, joining us from Argentina, one of our, now we can safely say a regular guest on the podcast. And when you know that Laura is on, we're talking women's handball and specifically the Champions League this week. Laura, how are you? Doing good here in Buenos Aires. We're already four rounds into the women's competition. A lot to talk about. I'm wondering if we can start with the storyline or the team or the player that has surprised you most this season in a good or bad way. I would say... Fenix Varos surprised me so far, but it's, I think it's a tricky one. It, it's always surprising at the beginning. And you always kind of expect them to go far in the competition. And in the end, they, it's like um, we say something in Argentina, it's like, siempre le falta cinco para el peso, which means something like they're almost there, but they quite don't make it. So um, at this point, I'm wondering how far they will make it. But I think they did very good so far with uh, a very good Emily Bolk and the goalkeepers are also good. Itana Gerbic being uh, a very good playmaker. Um, I think uh, for I think it's this uh, this must be like uh, her third or second year playing as a playmaker after having been um, a wing uh, for most of her career or at least a senior. So I think it's surprising, but. Um, it's it's good to see her perform that way. And Brian, you were at FTC's game against uh, Esbjerg on the weekend for match of the week. Uh, what did you think of them? At, uh, FTC, of course, a team that often have had strong opinions about over the years. Yeah, and I think maybe I'm slowly starting to change my mind, uh, having seen what I've seen at the weekend. I think there seems to be a little bit more. Seems to be anyway. I don't. I will be a bit careful now. I don't want to. Uh, give it all away at this this early in the season but I think there seems to be a little bit more maturity about this uh, team and I don't mean maturity in terms of age but I think in terms of kind of decisions on the court even though right at the end they almost blew it again but I think over the, when you look at their other games over the season they seem to be hitting a stride that I haven't seen them hit before and I think players like uh, like Laura mentioned Emily Bulk really do fit in really well with uh, with the team and it was very interesting for me to see uh, Henny Reistad on one side and Emily Bulk on the other side. I mean, Bulk isn't as trigger happy as Henny, but quite similar players to certain degrees. And I've never seen them. I don't think I remember ever seeing them playing on the same court at the same time. But it was uh, an interesting back and forth they're having. Obviously, Henny was a lot more trigger happy and a lot more successful in front of goal. But it was uh, an intriguing game overall with the match with the game with the sorry with the lead changing hands about six times in total. So it was really really over and back. Very entertaining stuff and. Uh, an absolutely packed arena in Erd, not in Budapest. So all the tra- all the players had to travel down from Budapest to Erd. So it was a it was an interesting game, not uh, to say the least. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited actually to be honest about FTC. I think this as I said, I think they've kind of hit a new stride. And when it comes to the young players in the squad as well, it's like the team, whether it's FTC or also Hungary, uh, it's a team that we or a group of players that we've talked about a long time about being in transition and waiting for the breakthrough whereas this year finally we i think we saw that breakthrough in what they managed to achieve by qualifying for the olympics and also their their late run in the group phase in the olympics as well and that maybe is transferring over to uh what they're managing to do so far this season at least and they're um yeah managed to just about hold on to their uh, unbeaten record against the team esbjerg team which once again 
seem to only have about seven players on the court. Seems no matter what they do and who they sign, they're a bit like Flensburg, but in the women's side of uh, the top flight handball, they were down to, I think, 12 players. That seems to be a bit of a worry for them in the long run, particularly with how many games they have coming up in the group phase and, and hoping to transfer that into the knockout rounds as well. But what do you think about Esbjerg and the, the new look uh, backcourt they have there, Lara? I think it's uh, a very powerful one with both of the tallest backs in, in the Champions League and adding now any race that, which is, of course, the MVP of the last uh, Final Four. But I can't really say too much because I haven't seen most of their games. Uh, but I think it's, uh, as you mentioned, the, the fact that they are short of players and still managed to, to grasp that uh, tie last, last week and then also, uh, maybe, yeah, I think they lost in the first match and they, they won the other two, right? Uh, and then the last uh, last round they tied. Yeah, it's a matter of seeing, as, as you said, how far they will make it if they still have problems with uh, a shortage of players in the squad. Well, what did you make of them uh, when you saw them live there, Brian? Was the the lack of depth in the squad something that was noticeable like well just in terms of the, sub- the amount of substitutions you could really see it but i think i did worry in certain parts i thought it was maybe slipping away from them but then th- towards or just especially at the start of the second half they looked to kind of ironed out a lot of those issues and seemed to take control of the game and then looked to me like ftc were t- or ftc were in trouble but so i i was pretty impressed with i mean look you put henny race that in any single team in the champion in the champions league and she's gonna She's going to keep on shooting and keep on scoring. I can't remember who said it to me. I think it was, you were there with me, Chris. Someone was saying to me, she's a great player, but maybe she shoots a little bit too much. But I'm not sure about that when you look at the amount of goals she scores. Mm-hmm. But uh, she's, yeah, she's great to watch. And um, she maybe she, maybe she could pass a little bit more to the line sometimes when she's getting dragged out of. But uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's an exciting time for Esberg, but I would be a little bit concerned when you get to the latter stages of the season are they going to hit some sort of, as you said, Chris, some sort of Flensburg territory where they kind of maybe run out a bit of steam? We've uh, gone through second and third place at the moment in in Group A, so we may as well stick with Group A for the moment. Uh, and I think it's a super interesting group. The top six all separated by just two points, which uh, is, even though it's very early days, still emerging to be a very interesting group to look at. And Rostov Don on top alongside FTC on six points at the moment. And uh, seem to be managing okay without Anavea Kareva so far. That was uh, something I was really interested to see at the start of this season. Obviously, with Anna feeling that she needed to take some time out of the sport and got a lot of public support from uh, Per Johansson as well, the, the coach of Rostov, which I think was a, a very big move. But the rest of the squad seem to be managing okay. Have you seen much of them so far this season? Yes, and I think that, they, of course, they already had a very good team and they added uh, both Amarim and, and Nevish. And then, of course, they had to bring another right back because of uh, Vyakireva's absence. Um, but I think, uh, I mean, they, they just continue to do what they've been doing. But I think this time, and because they knew they were not going to have Vyakireva on, their, on, on the team, I think... Um, um, it's more noticeable the, the kind of team that they are. It's not only about her, uh, because I think maybe at the end of the last season, you could see how much they depended on her when, and how much their level depended on how she was feeling on the court, especially maybe on, on the quarterfinals against Vipers. 
when they lost. They had to play the two games in the same weekend. And you could see that maybe if she was a bit low, the team was also a bit low. I don't know if maybe not now knowing that she's not with them now, they have to all step up a little bit. But I think uh, everyone is just um, at, at a very good level and you could still see Grasa Deep shining. She's, uh, to me, she's um, one of the top two players right now. And, uh, and also adding Amorim, who's not only uh, very important in defense, but also adding uh, many goals this season as well. There's no particular news on when Anna Vekreva is, is thinking about coming back, right? It's kind of like an open-ended break. Yeah, it sounds like that, yes. Mm. Uh, unlike, unlike Daria Dmitrieva, who's uh, apparently says she will come back at the beginning of next year. Yeah, that's interesting. Who knows if we, maybe we'll see them like bounce back just uh, before the quarterfinals or something like that, or the last 16, so they can ease into it. <laughs> the decision of Perry Johansson to give her the, that, I mean, what do you think? Do you think it's a bit of a risky kind of allowance that once you kind of open the floodgates that... I think it's one of those where you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. And in Anna Vey Kareva's case, she is, you know, a once-in-a-generation type of player. And you just got to make it work for her. And she's given a lot of herself, as pretty much all of these top-level players have, uh, particularly with the success Rostov and in particular Russia have had in the last few years. She's been... The, the focus of all of that and, and when things go wrong for them she's the one they all rely on so she's been carrying a lot of burden and so you know at this stage in her career and she's still fairly young uh, there's a lot more probably they can get out of her in the long run and a lot more she can get out of herself as a handball player in the long run if she's allowed to get this time so uh, as long as Perry Johansson is around to uh, reap the rewards of that in the future then I think it's a really smart idea. And I think just on a on a kind of basic human level, uh, it was uh, a wise thing and a, a correct thing for him to do. I don't even think it's a, it's not even a matter of who she is. It's just a person asking for some, some time to uh, take a rest and to, um, a, a well-deserved one, because um, it could be, it could have been anyone, but being her and, um, She's been in the, she's been in the national team uh, since very early ages. Uh, she was MVP of the Olympic Games at 21, which is not something normal. When we spoke with her at the Playmaker uh, podcast, she said that she, until this day, she it was quite difficult for her to understand what happened there. Uh, she was very nervous and she was not so conscious about what happened there. And she didn't quite enjoy the Olympic Games. And it's, it's a, you know, coming from someone who was MVP, it sounds like uh, it's a bit weird for you not to be able to enjoy everything mm. and to fully understand what, you, what you're doing there at the biggest stage of them all. And I think maybe now after this Olympic Games, I, I was there in Tokyo, I was working at the organizing committee and I could see the Russian team after the final and they were devastated. And... Um, I think this timeout is something that, and I think she mentioned it before, it was something that she requested even a year before. But she was asked to stay, she was asked to wait for the Olympic Games, and she did so, and maybe she needed that break at that time. So I'm wondering now if if she had had that break before, 
if she would be still playing now. I don't know. But it, I don't think it's about that right now. It's uh, Right now, it's about her resting and figuring out what she wants to do. Yeah, I think it's very easy for us from the outside watching professional athletes in, in any sport. It's very easy for us to kind of, oh, look, you've got the best job in the world, you know. And when we play sport, we train three or four times a week and we can barely do that sometimes. And never mind training once or twice a day plus traveling all over the world to to different tournaments. And especially then when you're when you're one of the really, really top players, when you're being picked and you're playing more minutes than everybody else and you're going to every single uh, to event and you're playing every final four and going to, as you said, the Olympics, etc. So the toll on those type of athletes is something we probably are going to have to kind of come to terms with, I think, as we become more advanced with sports psychology and all that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. it's something we might see more in the future. And I think probably we should talk about it more because otherwise you'll end up in situations where you have players like Kim Ekdal Doria, who was kind of burnt out, left, kind of came back and then didn't really get going again and then left the sport completely. So maybe we do need some sort of, I don't know, sports sabbatical for our, our very top players to protect them from the tolls of uh, professional sport. If you think about the upcoming world championship and the, the women's world championship and the number of stars we will not see. Uh, Bella Gulden already retired last season. Christina Neauers is just taking a break from the national team. Lekic, Vich are also not being there. Vyakhireva, uh, Dmitrieva. There are many players who will miss the, the tournament because they needed a break. But I think that says something about the calendar and something that has been talked about for the last couple of years. Are you saying this is Argentina's big chance to win the title? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a big chance we go through Lomera uh, for the first time ever. Yeah. <laughs> it only takes winning one game so i have hope in that uh we were talking already a lot about group a and that's somehow without mentioning csm bucharesti brest britannia and one of the surprise packages borussia dortmund so i mean maybe we can fire through them pretty quickly um any teams in particular with their performances stand out to you yeah borussia definitely And I think, and I think uh, right now, Alina Grisels is one of the top scorers of the competition. So yeah, and I think she's uh, she's been doing very good. I like how they 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 manage to play um, very long games. If if you know what I mean, like uh, they they still within the game and within the the 60 minutes. It's not like they they only lost one time, and it was last weekend. Um, but it was a game in which that were also very close in the in the score as well. So um, I think they're doing very good this uh, this season. And oh, we'll see how far they will make it. But I think what's positive about them is that they've managed to win the games and to play all 60 games at a very high level. So, uh, sorry, all 60 minutes at a very high level. Dortmund, before the start of the season, there were people kind of thinking, ah, they're not going to be any use this season. But I think uh, I remember... The first time I saw Alina uh, Geisel's play and she was, I think she scored, it was last season, I think she scored, I think, 12 in one game. Um, I mean, she's a really, really impressive player and a player who um, you actually see using the arm swing, you know, bringing back some old school handball, you know, she's using the arm swing, you don't see that often anymore. Um But she seems to be getting better almost with every game I see her playing. So she's a very, very exciting talent for Germany coming up. And yeah, I think it's it's great to see the Dortmund sticking it to the doubters because I think people were kind of doubting the squad they had. And But they have uh, some really good young players like the Ten Holten, the Dutch keeper and goal. 
Um, she had she had a decent game the last game too. So, um, yeah, I think probably Dortmund was definitely the team that stuck out for me the most. I think the doubt has been about German clubs in particular over the last few years because they just haven't been able to to offer much. And you look at a, a German team and you're like, ah, you know, they'll be mid table, then they get knocked out in in the the first round or in the old format is like yeah they'll get to the main round maybe they'll squeeze into the quarterfinal and uh, yeah so having a team like that who who seem to be uh, a squad capable of of throwing their weight around is uh, is pretty interesting and i remember i was watching that game against csm Bucharesti last week which they lost by three in the end but it was a much closer game than that 25 22 i think the final score does really doesn't really reflect uh, how close that was and um yeah how how tricky csm bucharesti are finding this season them and and breast i mean it's still early days but um it's, it's proving to be uh, a wide open group and uh you feel bad for podrovka and uh Budichnost, who i don't really think will be able to break into the the top six uh looking at how it is at the moment but uh besides that yeah uh fascinating uh race to the the knockout rounds over in Group B, we have a couple of teams charging ahead already with uh, Dürer and Mets with uh, perfect records uh, in terms of winning so far. Mets having played one fewer game. Uh, they haven't played against CS- CSK yet. Really happy to see Mets kind of uh, in flying form again because last season it looked like the, the squad wasn't the right balance for them, but it seems to have matured a little bit. Yes, and um, this weekend when they beat Cream on the very last uh, seconds, you can see, I think, um, that, as you've said, the team is like more stylish or do, at least doing better than the last season. And it was also not a very nice way to to finish last season when they lost the quarterfinal against Brest with such big margin. This season, yeah, it's, um, it's true that I don't know what would have happened if uh, they would have played that first game of the season against CSK, uh, because I don't know uh, who w- who would have won, but so far three victories and uh, yeah, they look good. The, the game against Krim was it was a really great game uh, and an incredible ending with Louise Borgart scoring that final second goal. I mean, talk about a clutch moment that was uh, that was great, absolute heartbreak for Krim. And you think Krim with all the signings that they've brought in with like Lekic, Sujic, uh, Stanko, uh, who else have they signed? Uh, Pinot. Yeah. Yeah. So you think? I think overall they're going to be very disappointed with the start of their season. That I mean, they they lost two games by one goal, so they came pretty close. And they were. I mean, they give Gear a decent game, but we're still not quite there yet. But I think they 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 will get going eventually. But I think they'll be maybe licking their wounds a little bit at the moment with uh, some of the losses because they came. They were within touching distance to get wins, especially the game against Mets. They were so close. So mm. it's been a bit of a rough start to their season, but I feel like they will get into a gear now soon, and they'll be a they'll be a tough a tough opponent. Particularly losing that their their opening game away to to save a half, which is mm. one that I'm pretty sure when they rocked up thinking, yeah, we've got this. This is a nice handy start to the season for us, and then they they come up against Yamina Roberts, who is uh, just continuing to get better and better as uh, after she's returned to the sport in the last uh, couple of seasons. Or it's only been just over a year, right, that she, she right, gave yeah. birth. Uh, it feels like longer at this stage because she's just continually impressing. But yeah, she's really leading that save a half team. Yeah, how about the the Vipers squad? You know, they're, they're coming to this as reigning champions. 
it's been a mixed bag for them with two wins and two losses and a very different look and feel to the team. How do you think that that squad is coming together? Uh, well, I think it, it takes a bit of time when um, you no longer have a player like Henry Raystead, even though I think everyone mentioned this, but uh, of course, um, having Nerea Pen and Bela Guldin in the team now also, I mean, it's not like they're just any signing. They're top-class players. But I think it also might take time because none of them have played um, in the Norwegian league before or or in that team before. So I think it's just a matter of time. And if you see, like, the first game, I think it was against Jörg, it was maybe, I don't know which which team had more new players in the squad, if Jörg or of Vipers, because they both have many signings this season. It's just a matter of time for them to settle and get used to playing with each other. Um, they, I think they're leading in the Norwegian league as well. So, uh, But I think we, we cannot compare uh, both competitions, of course. I think the good news, at least, is that Nora Morg is in very good shape. And I think slowly but surely they will they will settle in. And I don't think that the, the, the matches that they lost were not matches that they were not supposed to lose. I would say not logical, but you could have expected them to lose those yeah. games. So I don't think it's something that they have to worry about. Yeah, you can, you can go to Jura and you can go to Mets and lose, and it's not the end of the world uh, for, for a team like that. And yeah, I mean, they they came from, where was it, fifth or fifth place uh, in the group last season, uh, all the way to win the title. And so I think probably just teams in Group A will be looking at them saying, no, please, please don't finish in the bottom half. You're, you're wasting our good effort here uh, at the moment. But uh, yeah, it's still a long way to go in there. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Odense as well. As Well, last season, they were just up and down throughout the whole thing. You never knew which team was going to show up uh, when you, you saw Odense play. This season seemed to be a little bit more settled and with Dione House here at right back as well, who's had a fantastic start to the season, 30 goals for her. They look like a team that are are capable of mixing it at this level as well. Yes, and also with, uh, I think, Mia Hoylund in very good shape now and also they're getting back uh, Louisa Bing. Uh, last season, I think it's, uh, was it the playoffs or the quarterfinals? No, it's the playoffs they played against uh, Vipers, right? Yeah. Um, th- that was also a very tight series, so it could have gone either way. And this isn't maybe a young Hoshio who comes uh, comes from Nugovin, right? Um, she's doing very good, and uh, I think she's getting more confidence. I think playing her first season in Champions League doesn't look very nervous, and she's still very young. I think she's only twenty twenty one. I think they can also uh, they go they can also go through to the playoffs this season uh, but uh, I don't know which place they will finish in the group but uh, as you said before it's it's very early now it's only four four rounds so far um, we'll see how, how far they can go but I think it, the team looks good and the backcourt is, is very solid and also goalkeepers are stepping up uh, Tesvester is now in Chesame but I think it's it might be the year for Ralta Reinhardt to to take ownership of that goal. She had the save of the season so far, I think. Anyway, her uh, double save against Gure, I think, was uh, was probably the the highlight of all the saves I've seen so far. Yeah, she's she's a she's a great um, 
great goalkeeper and uh, she's still incredibly young as well so uh, particularly for a goalkeeper so a lot of uh, good stuff to come from reinhardt because you were talking about house here there you know and i was mm. thinking it's incredible the um the conveyor belt of dutch talent that uh holland seemed to always be able to produce and i mean she's got 30 goals so far i mean that's it's really bonkers how uh how well she's playing and uh she's a really really dangerous player so so good at one against one and just so dynamic uh, in the backcourt so she's going to be a super talent for the dutch national team very soon i'd imagine and there's a bunch of them over in CSM as well. I think like half of the Borussia Dortmund team is young Dutch players. So it's, yeah. uh, it is impressive what they what they continue to do. Any other teams there you want you want to talk about in Group B, Laura? I would say I was impressed by Krim, but not in a very good way. I was really expecting much more from them, mainly because of the signing that they got this year. Because last season they also did good. They were also very close to going through to the quarterfinals and they were really close and this season I thought well if they made it this far and playing so good uh, with the signings that they had this season uh, it would be interesting to see uh, if they would be fighting for the top of the group but I think it was a bit disappointing I don't maybe I don't know it's um I'm not sure how well they, they will definitely need time to to settle as a team but um, yeah, I was expecting more, even though it's it's early days, as you said. Do you see them being under any pressure from Sevahov or Kastamonu, perhaps, for that sixth place? Um, no, I don't think so. Or at least, it, no, it shouldn't be that way. I think if the team has time to, to start working together a little bit better, I don't think uh, they should be in trouble. Okay. So basically what we're saying then is... Podravka and Borutchnost will be in trouble in Group A and uh, Kastamonu and Sevahov in, in Group B. You don't see any other teams potentially dropping out of the top six. Well, now that you mentioned Sevahov, uh, <laughs> no, I don't know, I don't know. There's only room for six. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it's a tricky one. They already they already beat Cream and playing good. I think, uh, I also think that Sevahov, they, they haven't, I mean, they lost some of the games by a big margin, but uh, they also lost by one against this K. Maybe they could snatch some other points on the way. Uh, we'll have to see. Maybe they can get that sixth place, but we'll have to see. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a bit early to be to be making those kind of predictions, but I'm going to keep asking anyway. I'm going to ask you for a couple more predictions <laughs> before we let you go for now. And. Um, it's about the top two in each of the groups because, as we know, uh, the top two in both Group A and Group B go automatically to the quarterfinals. And uh, for, we'll start with Group B, seeing as we've been talking about that. Uh, do you see any other teams besides Jura and Mets? It feels like Jura have the top two in their pockets, but uh, it could be a bit more open when it comes to second place. Yeah, as you mentioned, I think Jura will very likely take uh, the first place uh, for the second place, um, I'm not sure. Mets are very good right now. They're missing a game, which they could potentially win or lose as well. I can't. I can't really. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about the second one, and I don't like predictions. Nobody ever does. Do you have a, a standout second team there, Brian and Group B? I'd say I probably. I. I think. Uh, 
What Laura said earlier, probably I felt was feeling about the the Viper squad that maybe you need a little bit more time, where maybe Mets are a little bit more settled. So I think I'd probably stick to what it is at the moment with Gior and Mets at, at, in the top two. Mm. I, I feel like it might be a little bit early for Vipers to get everyone settled and with the few injuries that Vipers have also. That so I think I think maybe just in terms of consistency, Mets might squeeze it, but I think it'll be pretty close overall. Don't don't be much between mm. those top three teams. Uh, and a group A of six teams there who probably secretly fancy themselves as a top two team or or could break into that top two. But which two do you think is going to make it, Laura? I think Rostov could stay at top of group A. And then for the second place, I, would, I see FTC going through. I don't know if I see them going through directly because of what we always talk about with FTC is that there is that team that, looks like they will okay this might be their season and then um they don't make it i would like to have hope in them and say they will finish second in the group um if they can if they can manage to be consistent through the group round then they could take that second place how about you brian i think uh here's a here's a bit of a hot take for you i think it's going to be ftc to finish top of the group and, and rostov to come second and i think we might even swap places this weekend when borussia dortmund draw with rostov and, and FTC move ahead. So there you go. So <laughs> it doesn't be a nice sound, but if this all works out next week, but uh, if it doesn't, you'll never hear of it again. That's the beauty of podcasting. That's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think for your top two, Chris? Did you say? From group A, I would have to go with Rostov and I think Esbjerg. If Esbjerg can, can get Meditranborg fit and have a like a relatively full team of 13 14 players which for them would be huge then they look like they have a they have the team with Henny Reistad to lead them into the top two Henny Reistad and six players but we'll, we'll see we'll see <laughs> when the season goes on if they have enough legs <laughs> FTC have that nice deep squad you know <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true I, I just love to see your newfound love for FTC Brian I yeah. think it it all changed in uh, in December last year when you interviewed the Hungarian players uh, at the Euro that you, you found a newfound uh, respect for them. So thank you so much, Laura, and uh, we'll speak to you hopefully uh, just before and maybe during the World Championship in Spain. Hope to see you there as well uh, if all things go to plan. Be there too. <laughs> and uh, of course, everyone can follow uh, Laura and her work with Nagore on Playmaker women's handball it's playmakerwh.com thank you so much laura thank you for having me thank you so much to laura for that great chat and also to alex and brian who i'm not going to let talk anymore because we've been talking for too long thank you (laughs) but a really nice podcast and uh, thanks everyone for listening and we'll be back again very shortly with another one goodbye